family, this is Paul from Culture vs. Church. Uh, how you guys doing? Um, great day, great day again. Usually, I'm in my office recording, but today I have a wonderful special guest. He's a wonderful brother of mine. And so I'm in my house. I'm actually in my kitchen. So if you hear like little noises, or if you hear like outside lawnmowers or water drips, that I'm, I'm, I, might, I might need to fix that. But whatever. So, uh, so we're going to go from here. So I have a wonderful guest. Uh, I think I promised you guys last week that if I can get this guy on my books, uh, we're going to do this interview. So he said, okay. And his kid is here too. He's upstairs playing with my son. So this is a family thing. You know what I mean? And this is what culture and this is what church and, and everything is about. So I'm so excited. And I'm going to introduce you. I'm going to let him introduce himself. So, sir, go ahead. Let me get your name. Um, your profession, I guess, your calling a little bit, and yeah, let's go from there. sermon through just one-on-one ministry or every now and then the words may rhyme every now and then yeah all right uh so welcome alex um i'm i'm so happy to have you here uh, at my home doing this so so yeah so for the listeners out there this is culture versus church we're talking about you know the different cultural uh things that we see at the church at our church so as you know uh, i'm korean korean american so the so for the past few episodes i talked about what it means to be uh, a korean growing up in a korean church growing up in a korean american in this society so what does that mean for church today today i'm going to talk about something that might be close to alex so i'm going to ask this first question for this interview how should i refer to your cultural identity church is it okay if I say the black church or do you want me to say African-American church? Uh, black church is fine, bro. I think that, you know, it's pretty evident. <laughs> black church is cool with me. If other folks who are listening don't like it, then just like when you hear black, just just hear African-American instead. But I don't, that's cool. I'm cool either way. It's crazy because I'm looking at his face right now and he's like, what? <laughs> like, what kind of question is that? But I ask it because I know there are some people, right, um, that prefer African-American over black or some people they don't care or some people uh, like black over African-American, right? I think a lot of people, man, my wife's the pickiest person I know, so. If I could deal with her, I could deal with anybody. So I guess so. All right, cool. So talk talk to me about, tell me a little bit something about your church uh, in in general. How does your church operate? What is the demographics of your church culturally, generationally? Um, and yeah, just go from there. Just, just yeah, talk. So like the past um, 12, 13 years, maybe a little more, I've been at First Missionary Baptist Church um, in Los Angeles, uh, 1300 East 57th Street, right off of Slauson in L.A., um, the church is actually about to be 121 years old. It's one of the, I think, four or five oldest churches in the city. Wow, wow. Uh, really, that's really cool. Um, my pastor, Pastor Darnell Jones Sr., has been there, I think, over 20 years now. Um, demographic-wise, I want to say it's at least 97% African-American or black. So what's, um, the, what's the other 3%? The other 3% is like, Visitors, okay. all right. Visitors, okay. I, I, I couldn't put I couldn't put them in one category, but you know, folks visit. So, right. what about just membership wise then? Membership wise, it's probably ninety nine point nine. Um, so, what's that point nine then? Because <laughs> you never know what else people are. Okay. Um. So, uh, yeah, man. I just yeah, I would I, I would have to give it like a ninety nine point nine only because somebody could also be something else okay yeah 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 all right um age wise man so we have a i'm over the children and youth department um so zero to 17 they're all mine um and if they all come on the same sunday i have a good 35 40 um uh, we have a, a handful of young adults um 
about a handful of, of seniors, so folks who are, you know, 50 and up. Um, for everybody that comes on the same Sunday, we're probably around two, three hundred folks. Mm, wow. Um, but, you know, that when I say if they come on the same Sunday, that's a rather big if. Uh, but, yeah, that's where I'm at. All right. Um, and are like uh, so like how many people are leadership? There's a pastor, senior pastor. What? Right. So we have uh, the senior pastor, Pastor Jones. Uh, like I said, I'm over the youth. We have um, uh, a minister over evangelism. We have a minister over young adult ministry, a minister over Sunday school, an administrative assistant. Um, uh, and I think there's two more. I'm not sure their specific roles right now. I think they're kind of getting switched. Um, but it's kind of the pastor, the associate ministers, then like the directors of ministries and then their team. So that's kind of the hierarchy for lack of a better word. Okay. So, so when you talk to people and this is probably just my assumption is, is when you talk to people outside your cultural race, right. And when they, when they look at you, um, do you think, or when they look at you, are you comfortable when they assume that you go to a black church? Uh, personally, I am. Um, only because it's kind of all I know. Um, so I, I wouldn't assume that you would assume I would win anywhere else. Um, the idea of focusing on a church being, uh, having being multiple communities of people is fairly new. Unfortunately, you're right. Um, it is I'm talking the last 10, 12 years that mm. it was even, you know, a noteworthy topic. Um, so all the churches that have sprung up since then have it in their bylaws. They have it in like what they're trying to do. Um, but all the churches that are, you know, a hundred year old church that that wasn't thought that back then they were just trying to survive. Mm. So, okay. So, um, so talk to me about some of the church, uh, the black church behavior, that's specific to the black church. So, you know, if somebody, <laughs> I see you grinning yeah, right that's, now. That's, so. that's a fun question. Because <laughs> black folks, uh, or black Christians, black, whoever, black culture in church, um, is this, um, it's funny, man, because it's so diverse. There's not really one way, but there are, there are, there are commonalities between all of them, right? So, so you're talking about uh, uh, black churches, the numerous black churches right, that, so, that are diverse. Right. So I'm it, saying right. that uh, if you like the black Baptist church experience, and it is quite an experience, um, I think everybody should go to at least one black Baptist service a year um, just to, you know, get a good workout in. Um, but that the black Baptist church experience is going to be very different from a Church of God in Christ black black church experience, which is going to be different from a Pentecostal black church experience. Um, culturally, the way that all of them express their 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 adoration of praising God is very different ways, um, and those different perceptions create different atmospheres mm. of the service. Mm. Um, like for example, your you know more average black Baptist church. Um, it's going to be very scripturally heavy. Um, it's going to be about, you know, what, the, what does the Bible say? Um, and you're going to sing. You're going to have a band and a choir and all that jazz. Um, but your normal, or I would imagine, in my perception, your average uh, more Pentecostal or apostolic church, um, they're going to go for it. You know, you're going to say Jesus and they're taking three laps around the service, <laughs> around the church. We're going to go back to that, but go ahead. Because yeah, I don't know, uh, a lot of my listeners know what that means, but we're going to go back to that, but go ahead. Yeah, man. So the, the way they express their praise, um, I would say is unique to every denomination. But what what is unique, I believe, what is common to all of them is that there is some type of outward expression. Um, passionate outward expression. So that's a commonality is that outward expression, yeah. but that expression is different for every church. Okay. Um, all right. I like that. So um, what about your church though? And, and specifically the, the behaviors and so I'm talking about behaviors. Like if, if when you go on a typical Sunday, 
Um, do we see some people sit in certain ways or do we see uh, designated seats or designated peoples or or that person is the person that he's a shot caller, she's a shot caller and the behaviors that kids do and the behaviors that, that you express to your, your pastors and your leadership. Is there, is there specific types of a little bit like uh, a little bit of, you know, unspoken rules that people have to or the black church knows, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, man. I would say that like the mothers of the church or the mother's board sits in the front. So what does that mean, the mothers of the church? So the mother's board, um, I've never understood it. What always existed <laughs> um, is a board of uh, the women who signify themselves as like the spiritual mothers of the church. Um, it's an actual board that you have to be recommended to be on because of the um, the status that I guess it comes with, the, the perception that comes with that. Um, of being someone who can be, you know, leaned on and asked questions of, of and kind of depended on for, uh, as a resource for feedback and, and prayer and things like that. Um, they sit up near the front. The deacons sit on the very front row, and the deacons being those who call are called out to be a service, um, a servant to the people of the church and to the body. Um, the ushers sit in the back. Um, so they can like watch the doors and maybe help help everybody kind of find a seat, um, unless it's the kids' Sundays and they mostly play in, which is really fun. Um, some other things. Uh, I would say one thing that that is significant in the uh, in the black church would be the ushers' march. Pretty Ooh. epic. Okay. Well, what what's the what's the ushers' march? Somewhere Actually, that's the first so, time I heard of that so, too. So. So when we do offerings, um, the folks uh, normally will walk around to the table and you know do their tithes or benevolence, their offerings. Um, and then after the, I would say, general body has kind of given their offering, then the ushers march. Mm. So the ushers um, almost take this militant stance and they play a pretty jazzy song. And the ushers have this really cool, like, marching on the beat deal. And the ushers go around and give their offering. But it's always, in my entire life, always been separate from the general body offering. Like the ushers wait till everyone else is given, and then they do like this lineup, almost like Janet Jackson Rhythm Nation, like choreographed <laughs> march around the church, and it was always super epic. Um, and folks get really excited about it. Never understood why it was that way. Uh, I don't understand now, uh, but it's just something that we do. Um, do I, is that specific to a denomination or? I've never seen it anywhere else the way we do it. But you've seen it other places. I've seen ushers march around, but there's this. It's a style thing. It's a. It's a. It'll be a music video if you, if you got a camera out. That's what I'm saying. So I think uh, my question is: So what? Uh, I should ask this in the beginning. What denomination are is your church affiliated with? So we're a Black Baptist Church. Okay. Black Baptist right. Southern Convention of Churches. Okay. Um, great. Um, so. Uh, the next thing is is I hear in my notes I wrote it down as black theology because as a seminary student myself we hear about what theology means to different cultures and different race. So when you got when you guys the when the black church talk about Jesus, what's like maybe the top three things that or God right or salvation or anything pertaining to Christianity? What are three things? Because I was taught. Um, some words. So I just wanted to go back to you and see if those align. Um, so, so what, what, um, what, what do you guys uh, like? The top three things that you guys think about, or, or yeah. Yeah, man. So doctrinally, um, or when it comes to theology, man, I would say um, the Black Baptist Church really focuses on uh, the gospel, like death, burial, resurrection. Um, really focuses on, I think, just highlights really important parts of that story. Um, so one, the idea that he was innocent um, and sacrificed himself for the guilty um, is a really a, a big theme um, that, that folks in the, in the black church really gravitate toward. Um, the idea of, uh, you know, the, the hero that that, that kind of represents from being saved, being rescued is a really big theme. Um, then you have uh, just the blood of God, like the, the sacrificial, you know, blood that was shared on the cross, um, and 
another thing that that kind of calls out pretty often in the African American church is um is redemption, right? The idea that you know what and who I was prior to this um can be forgiven and, and made clean um if you know you take a, a blood bath, right? Right. Um, and then another one. Um, and I hope I don't get in trouble with the black church for saying that <laughs> one. Would have to be, man, um this 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 the the idea that God will give you victory over your enemies is a really big theme for whatever reason. Um, I'm not saying it's only in the black church, but I can say that it is in the black church. sixty uh, percent of sermons on Sunday mornings are about, you know, getting over your enemies and defeating and how God will help you defeat your your haters and the people at your job that don't right. like you and the, the witches that are trying to put hexes on you and all that jazz. Like the idea of, um, uh, I don't want to say victimhood, but like the, the idea of, of, of being saved and, and, and having triumph um, is a big, big deal in the African-American church, probably just because of history. Um, I was talking to my wife yesterday um, about the dude from Starbucks and how they got like a, they asked for one dollar each from the city, and just asked the city to put on like a um, a grant program for kids, and that they would go settle for the city. And I was like, and that was like that's a symbolic victory, and that's awesome. I think that's really cool. There's a small part of my heart that is very tired of symbolic victory. Mm. Um, I would really, really like a real win pretty soon, and I think that maybe some of that is tied into why we love the idea that. In Christ we win, um, because it's not often in history or culture or politics or law enforcement that we win. So God, Christ gives us a win. So you talked about several words that I picked up on is rescued, saved, redemption, victory over the enemies. And as a seminary student, uh, we've learned that when it comes to black theology, it does stem a lot like you said, history over slavery, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the slavery times where um, the, um, so so when the Eurocentric slave owners would preach this gospel to the black community on Sundays, you know, they would talk about <clears throat> the Jesus, right? If I'm going to say just honestly, the white Jesus, uh, and then the black, uh, and then, but at the same time, the leaders of that black slavery community would pick up on that, read maybe read the scripture. Those that know how to read mm-hmm. uh, would come back to it and be like, whoa, this might not be yeah. what the actual Bible's talking about. So they bring it back and uh, they they don't flip it, right? But interpret it maybe because everybody got their own interpretations. Right. They interpret it where Jesus uh, will save them, will rescue them, will redeem them from the enemies that might be tied to the situation that they were in, slavery. Right. So talk about that a little bit. Do you do you think that maybe theology can or maybe still stems from that? Or do you think we've changed or, or the black church has evolved? Not not I'm not I don't want to say evolved, changed over time. Right. So I don't think that your current average black church has um you know how you go to like the shooting range? And you have like the target picture that you put out. Um, I don't think there's a specific person on that target picture or ty- or race of person or type of person on that target picture. Um, but I do definitely believe that the, the reason why um, sermons about victory and redemption and, um, and winning and, you know, making it, promising, um, just ring just a little louder in, in a black soul. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's too many studies to, to count about just generationally what, uh, what slavery has done to just people's men- mentality. Um, so I do think that is connected to it. Um, however, um, and I'm a, you know, I might get in trouble again for saying this, but all through the Bible, um, God is about rescuing a, a people. Um, uh, and I think that there are too many examples of, of God really coming for those who are, you know, suffering or going through a hard time or even those who are under an evil king. Um, and I believe that there is a, there is an aspect of God 
and when it comes to redemption and being saved and knowing him to, to, to keep his word, that I, I'm not going to say the black church knows better than other races. I will say that, that we cling to it mm. a little harder than other races because we it's so easy for us to connect it um, to our story. We don't have to go back far. You know, it's been 160 years, 100, 180 years. We ain't got to go back far to think, look how far we've come um, from being things to not being preachers and teachers, um, being, you know, the president. And not this president, but the other, the <laughs> other president. Not, I, don't, I don't know if we're going to go political, but yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I feel you. <laughs> so, yeah, man, so I think, I think that there's, it definitely... It just it just it just hits a different nerve when we hear he will rescue his people. So I'm going to play a little devil, devil's advocate right now. Um, you're saying that because of history, um, you and you and you and you say clearly that that the black church, um, it's the way they think about um the the gospel, it's not better interpretation. It just they cling more to it because of historical ties or, or whatnot. Yeah. Um, what if the white people can say the same thing? Right. Uh, what if, uh, you know, so what makes um, black theology right? Uh, maybe, I guess, precious or I guess more. Um, uh, I don't know. You know what I mean? So yeah, so so, so, so if, a, if a white if a white person <laughs> said, I hear you, Alex, I hear it. But um, my also history, whatever that is, I don't really know. Um, clings to that gospel because of our historical ties. You know what I mean? Yeah, man, and I think uh, there could be truth to that. Um, I, I would, I would, I'd really be hard pressed to use a word like, uh, like more, like to create to create a quantity or a value, right? Um, but I, I can very passionately say that I believe you can have your truth, and it doesn't affect the presence of mine. Um, there is just a way that we are going to kind of digest the gospel um, and interact with the gospel because of our historical ties that other folks just can't understand. Um, and it's also not our responsibility to make you understand it. Right, right, right. Um, okay. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that uh, it's more or better or more precious. Um, I would say that the, the beauty of the gospel is that it can be so unique and precious to the any and everybody. Um, and though everybody sees it from their uh, kind of uh, standpoint, as far as you know, geographically, historically, racially, um, whatever your precipice you're standing on, all of them are beautiful if you're seeing the gospel. Mm. So I wouldn't say one is closer or better or deeper or stronger. Um, I think they all can be unique and they all can be precious. Um, but I do think it's okay for one person to say, "Well, this is mine." Amen. Amen. All right. So I'm going to get to the portion of uh, what other people are most commonly connected with the black church is the music, yeah. <laughs> the music. Um, and we talked about the expression, uh, the adoration through through expression. Um, and I've been to black churches, you know, um, I've, I've spoken in a couple of them. And I do see really it. Well, <laughs> no. Invite this guy out. He's really awesome. Um, but then it always gets to man every time uh, how gospel music, black Christian music, mm-hmm. is just something else. You know what I mean? Something else. And and let's talk about the dancing. Let's talk about um, the praise breaks. You know what I mean? So talk about that because I, I just want to get to know where did that stem from. Um, especially the dancing part, the music I kind of get, and it's just style, right? Style and history is tied to it. But the dancing, that's talk, talk to me about that. Yeah, man. So I would, I think that there are very deep, passionate cultural roots that come from a lot of the dancing. Um, I don't believe that once you become saved, God wants to, you know, blank canvas you. That He takes all that He's built you to be, and just you know turns it for His good. Um, so I believe that a lot of the dancing, man, is, is really from a place of with my entire body, I'm going to give you praise. So it's not just about the fruit of your lips. It's not just about clapping. Um, uh, there are a lot of folks who really feel like um, if I die praising God, then that's the best way to go. 
I'm a, I'm a literally give everything that I have. Um, and it's more of a should be coming from a place of appreciation, just deep, passionate appreciation. So I like the way you said should be. Should be. <laughs> so I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a dig a little bit deeper because I asked this um, with, my, with my other uh, brothers too. How much do you think now um, compared to or, you know, traditionally, uh, I'm sure um, the dancing and the praising, I feel, can be, can be looked at, treated as more authentic than what it can be now interpreted. So how, in your opinion... How much do you think the the dancing and the shouting and the speaking in tongues, I'm going to put that in there too, can be cultural rather than spiritual? Um, that's a great question. I would say, in my experience, um, a lot of it is cultural. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't then say... It can't be cultural and spiritual. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that they're two different categories. There are definitely some folks who, it's their culture to praise and worship God in this manner, in this way, um, and it comes from a, a worship in spirit and a truth place. Uh, but as with everything, there are some folks who um, do it because they think it makes them look cool, or there is a uh, a scene. Uh, that they think that they can kind of garner or get or receive um, by doing, you know, by, by praising a certain way. Um, as human beings, we desire, you know, groups. We want to be in. We want to be, you know, part of the, the collective. So there's definitely, you know, temptation. When you see, you know, five, six-year-olds, you know, shout praising, I go, man, like, God can really be moving in your heart. And that's that's a possibility. It's also a possibility that scientifically you're a child and you're just emulating what you're seeing, um, which is also possible. But I don't believe that one has to automatically negate the other. Um, I believe that um, that all all your praise and worship should be tied to a truth about God and a truth of Scripture and not just um, the acknowledgement of a condition, right? Like, it's to, that is to say... Um, you get a letter in the mail and, you know, it's a check. You could buy that car. Praise God. Hallelujah. Shout around the room. That's great. Um, I think it's much deeper and much truer for someone to, to learn to, to learn again the extent of his grace, the extent of his mercy, and that to drive you to, to, to praise God. Um, how important is the pulpit? Because I know even as a seminary Ooh, student. I know as a seminary yeah, that's, student. That's like, that's like, <laughs> it's like hollowed ground. You know? It's like. You ever seen um like Lion King? Yeah. The pulpit is Pride Rock. It's like it's 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 the spot, man. I don't know why. Well, I do. Like Old Testament, you know, don't go behind the veil. You know, the, the priests wear bells around their waist in case some people know that they died, right? So I think the idea of something being holy, something being um sanctified, set aside for God, um, that um. That idea, that level of importance has been carried over and now placed on the pulpit. The veil is torn, so we don't have that anymore. But the, the place where the pastor stands and preaches the word of God um, has been called to become a very just a uh, sanctified and holy place. Um, so we don't, you know, normally don't let kids run around there. It's not a place to play. Um, and they, they would always say when I was little, um, you know, God's gonna call you to preach if you're playing up there. God's gonna call, and now, you know, here I am. So, um, seeing the current, the way physically the church is built, um, there is no pulpit, right? I mean, physically, you don't see a wooden Here, box. Newer, newer churches, yeah. yeah, the newer churches, you don't see a wooden box. You don't see a segregated area for preaching. It's a music stand or a table. Um, do you, does the black church maybe follow that or? Do, do they stay away from it? You know, I think that um, the church is always 10, 10 years behind the curve, right? Ten to, seven to 10 Are you years. talking about the black church or church in general? Well, church in general. Okay. It's about seven to 10 years behind the curve. The black church is five years on top of that, right? So um, there are songs and traditions 
and just, you know, air quotes for pod listeners, traditions that are just the way we do things, um, are, have done things that have become more tomb than tradition. Um, the, and I get it, right? This idea, like technology and, and the way people see God and inter- interact with one another grew so fast and moves up. I'm not going to say evolve. It just changed really quickly. Um, so if you are a 50, 60-year-old deacon at a church and, you know, you've always, you know, sat in the front and you stand in front of the pulpit or you sing devotion and then you read the scripture and then you sing a song, then you do a prayer and then you start service. That's what you've done for 45, 50 years. And then some 20-year-old comes and tells you, nah, this isn't doing it for me. This is not it. We, we Let's sing a newer song. Let's, you know, why are you way over there? Why do you have a big king chair? Like we're in... Uh, medieval, medieval times. Like, why is the the pastor, you know, look like he's the king of the earth? You know, like, why is he driving these cars? And so, I think there's definitely some things that we've just clung to because the people that that had it first, it was a lifesaver. To the younger generation, though, it's more of a noose. Mm. Um, and it's it's. See, this is why I need to do more interviews with poets. Just words like that just get me. But but go ahead. <laughs> so. There's this balance you have to find where you have to value um, the songs and traditions that save those who came before you, um, who, who are the roots. Um, even if you're the branches and the leaves, without roots, you will die. Case closed. I don't care how much vigor and passion, how well you sing. Without the, uh, the seasoned saint generation in your church, your church will not survive. Um, however, uh, things like uh, the big box pulpit and um, the the template of how they do church, we'll, we'll probably talk about later, um, have, have instead of becoming um, bunkers of safety that kind of kept people, have become walls that separate people and make people feel like they're not close and not um, with it. I think the one of the biggest issues with, with, with black church and how tightly we, we hold to our, tra- our traditions is that we expect folks to, to conform and change how they behave before we even care that you believe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about looking a certain way, dressing a certain way, talking a certain way, um, instead of being saved. And, like, uh, and not that that's not important to everybody. I'm not, you know, throwing shade on the black church. Right, 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 right. There's, if you think in your head, what do black preachers dress like? There's a very clear picture of what pops up. You know, what does the mother of the church look like? There's a very clear picture of what pops up. What does a black preacher dress like? He gonna have a suit. He gonna have a suit and a tie and shiny shoes and probably say stuff like, what's up, Doc and Rev? And, you know, what's up, Bishop? You know, these um, ways that we, you know, very honestly, uh, just casually stroke each other's ego and, uh, and, and you know, just say these little uh, almost flirty things to each other for no real reason whatsoever that you would never say to another person. Do you think you fall victim of that sometimes? Absolutely. Um, so then why do you do it? So man, for me, um, I normally only do it with people that I know. Um, and a lot of ways, you know, I should probably tell them, <laughs> tell the people I say it to, but a lot of ways I'm kind of making fun of it. <laughs> That's my truth. I, I told you I'll be honest. <laughs> my truth. Normally, when I talk that way, I'm, I'm kind of making fun of the way. So we got some mutual friends. I'm just thinking about them right now. <laughs> you guys know now. I love you, but the culture that that, uh, that lingo. Um, I don't think the way you say a word makes the word any more holy, or makes the sayer any more holy. Um, yeah. So me and Alex went to this young preacher's round table, I think a month or a couple months ago. And um, they were and then I was actually um, talking about like moving forward and how do we do that? They were holding on to the idea of tradition, holding on to the idea of. I think you talked about it, like respecting the things that we've been doing because of because they are the founders and they're the one that's did it. So we have to respect them. But at the same time, I'm thinking if these young preachers think the way their fathers and their mothers and their late elders do, how can we as a culture 
continue and you said it and you said it the best how can we as a culture continue to um we took a little break and we talked about evangelizing how can we as a culture continue to evangelize when we have maybe two different sets of vision for the church right so you have the younger black preachers and the older younger black preachers and so there's there's this constant uh there's this constant cultural maybe generational divide mm-hmm. where, you know, I, 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 suffer, I, I suffer with this too with the people that I talk to in the Asian American church. Wow. So what do you think can be done where maybe somebody's your age and holds on to those traditions so tightly so the church respects that and maybe gives that person some more opportunity? Um, but then we have people, pioneers, breakthroughs that are kind of like the black sheep Right, uh, the rogue. We have to just make her pave our own way. Yeah, man. So here, here's here's what I think. Um, and you gonna get me in trouble, and that's okay. I'm very comfortable in trouble. I'm married already. So I'm <laughs> um, I think that we need to first. Uh, if that person is you, if you're listening to this and that's how you feel, my first encouragement to you is to pray more for your leaders, right? Um, I, I don't believe that the Holy Spirit will ever encourage one to do something out of order. It's a very clear uh, leadership structure that God has given the church. Um, and quite often, um, though the issue you see may be real and need attention, and you believe you have the idea to fix it, um, you have to always acknowledge your pastor has a bird's eye view, and you do not. You see it from one angle, and he has to see it from all the angles. That doesn't mean the leak is not there, though. It doesn't mean the stain on the shirt is not there. It doesn't mean the problem doesn't need to get fixed. And it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit can use you to fix it. So there, there is that tension between the two where if the people that are doing what I like done, I'm going to let them do more. Um, I think, however, eventually, um, after prayer, you eventually have to stop and be able to ask whoever that person is <coughs> excuse me, a very um, honest but difficult question. Is it working? Mm. Speak for the black church. We, we have great ideas, very passionate, love people, but we are not the best at planning things and making it happen and, and putting in the, the business acumen that it'll take to make something excellent. There's no other platform, there's no other atmosphere in life where you can go do something obviously subpar and get applauded. Right. But the church. Mm. It's the only place where you can do something obviously not as good as it could have been. And everybody still says, well, at least it happened. Um, And I think that, well, at least we did something, isms. Um, I'm gonna push that real quick. Do you think? Uh, why? Why do you think? Uh, I have my ideas, and I'm, I'm gonna share it with you real quick. But why do you think that the church can do things subpar and get away with it? I can speak for the, the black church that I, that I that, that in my experience, in my history, um, it's a combination of it's a combination of I'm just grateful to be able to try. And there's no examples of passionate, strong, excellent ambition in church. Mm. Um, The idea that things should, that every round should go higher, things should get better and bigger and stronger and faster. Um, I think the absence of Examples of just holy ambition um, are few and far between. Um, and you can only do what you've seen the people in front of you do. Um, or at least try, or at least attempt. Um, so I, I knocked three apples down. I'll take that even if my target was the tree. Um, yeah, and so I think my thoughts about that, because I do feel the same way. Um, so um, being, a, being, a, being a preacher's kid, uh, my dad, uh, he actually wanted wanted excellence in the church. Um, 
the excellence of, of my abilities, right? So the highest I can go, that's what he wanted. And because, and he always related that with um, like what the culture is doing right now. So if there's like a famous singer or a famous rapper or a famous sports athlete or famous anything, my dad also believed that why can't the church do the same thing? But, but, but flip that in glory of God, right? Because if we're Christians and we believe that God can use anything for his glory, why can't we use the secular talents to give glory? And I think the, the white church is really good at that. Yeah, I think the white church, because, uh, especially, I can't say every white church, but white non-denominational churches are good at that. Because if you see white denominational churches, like the Methodist and the Lutheran and the Presbyterian, they're, again, far behind, right, of the trend. But if you see, like, um, young preacher-led non-denominational white, especially middle-class um, congregations, they are, they are good at that. And that's why we have bands like Planet Shakers. We have Hillsong, Young and Free, and we're pushing the limits. And we see black gospel artists like Travis Green and Israel Hutton and all those guys emulating sometimes their production level. And it just gets higher because I believe the gospel talents, the, I believe the gospel singers are talented, right? Are, can be, in, in certain areas, are talented. So, um, so why do you think the church, and this is not just a race issue, this is just a church issue, do you think maybe separating the secular culture and the church divides glory given to God sometimes? You know, man, I would, I would, if your team has always had more momentum, then you, your trajectory once thrown is going to be farther. Mm. And I think that your more minority churches haven't had just the outside trajectory that other groups have had, that, that white churches have had. What do, you, what do you mean by trajectory? What, what do you mean by all that? I'm saying that if somebody started the race on the, on the, on the 50th floor and you started in the lobby, then I'm expecting you to get to a higher, a higher, a higher level before the person's tired of running up the stairs. Um, so I think if it is too far, I think to some degree you have to acknowledge that to do this excellence and to do things better, um, a lot of it takes resources and finances and just you know being able to go to a bank and get a loan. Um, I have a friend at, at at Friendship Mission in Baptist Church, and he told me the history of the church that they had to. They had to have their white members go to the bank to get the loan because if the black members went there, they wouldn't let them in. It's actually in the city bylaws that they couldn't have a black church in that city. It's written in the historical city bylaws that you could not have a black church there. Like someone actually typed that and then put the seal for the city on it. So you have to also acknowledge that, yes, there are... Um, disparities when it comes to resources to making some of those things happen. Um, but I think when you when you don't have those resources for so long, it creates a mentality. So I, uh, there are folks just on average who just want more out of life because they've just seen more people get more. And if all you've seen is people not get very much, then it's not as, you're not as opt to want a lot more. There are always going to be outliers and always going to be people that are different. Now, connecting that to your question, I think that um, your more minority churches, um, again, man, I think that we are, a lot of them are fighting so hard to keep the doors open. A lot of them fighting so hard just to pay the bill and to pay the pastor something, pay the drummer something, that the idea of doing some big shebang or, you know, remodeling the church or do anything beyond you know, protecting itself is really difficult. Um, I have uh, tons of <laughs> ideas why that is. Uh, a lot of them have to do with, um, and this is Black Church again, on Hoover in South LA, between Slauson and let's say Imperial, there are like close to 50 churches, literally on one street. Literally, you can you can drive down the street and look to the right, see a church, wait 30 seconds, look to the left, and see another church. And my one of my churches I used to attend was on that street. 
And I always wondered why we never crossed the street. I was there for 17, 16 years. We've never visited with another church that was literally reading the same book we were reading, singing the same songs we were singing, because you could hear it. <laughs> but we never did anything together. Um, and I think that there is something about uh, just the different types of black church, different types of tradition that keep us from doing more together, um, which is unfortunate. I don't see that same issue when you talk about lighter folks with a, a fairer complexion. They get together all the time. So, In my opinion. All right. Um, talk to me about the importance of, and I heard some of this at the round table again, but I wanted to get your opinion. Talk to me the importance of going um, preachers, young preachers, going to seminary and education. And how important is that? Because I know um, if we're talking about the Asian culture, just itself, now I'm not even talking about church culture, mm -hmm. but Asian culture, education is number one, right? Uh, our parents come here and the first thing they say is education. Forget about everything else. Forget about friends. Forget about acceptance. Education will get you key. Same thing in the church context now, in Asia, especially in Asian. So that's why you see all these guys posting, I got into this seminary, I got into that seminary. And for a guy personally that didn't really care about education that much and wanted to play sports and hang out with the girls and, and, and you know go to constant stuff, when I got to that level of education, I'm now I'm in seminary, when I got to that level, yeah, I was a little bit jealous and kind of wanted to aspire to go to a certain seminary and and as soon as I was feeling that, I got to snap out of it because that's not that's not what it's about. But especially in this culture, it is necessary to go to seminary. So how important does the black church um, put, especially seminary education, um, to younger preachers? Because I think at the Young Preachers Roundtable, I don't think, in my opinion, the, the, the way people are talking, I don't think a lot or the majority of them went to seminary, right? I could be wrong. No. So okay. Um, this is a, a kind of a catch-22 in a sense that there was a generation um, of older black pastors who all went to seminary. A lot of them went to seminary together. Um, all of them went out, you know, started pastoring churches, um, and then ministers started coming from those, you know, those churches. Um, my experience Every pastor I've ever had told me to go to school, um, but none of them made me. It was never, you can't minister unless. Right. Um, and Sorry, so the church right now, or the black church, the majority of the church right now, um, the way they hire preachers is not, one of the, one of the um, qualifications isn't seminary? No. So, the, I, and I, it's even, even if you chuckle a little bit, well, you said the word hire, right? So I've never seen it in my history. I've never seen a church hire a preacher. Mm. Um, the the way I became a, a minister is I was at my, my old church and I felt the pull of the Lord. And I went to the front of the church and told the pastor, hey, I think, I think I'm called to be a preacher. And he said, okay, you know, go pray about it for a month. Talk to, come back to me in a month. Pray for a month, came back still feel the same thing, this kind of burning desire. I don't know what this is. I'm like 16, 17 years old. Um, and he said, all right, you know, okay, you go kind of just be with me. So it kind of made me his armor bearer shadow that I just followed him for about another year. Um, watch how he studied, watch how he treated people, all that kind of jazz. And I ended up with the church I'm at now. Um, and we spoke and he kind of gave me the basics of, what doctrine was and kind of said, hey, you know, look, at, look into this, look into that. He said, but if you're called to preach, um, then you should have the gift of preaching the gospel. So served there about a year and a half, and he gave me my first date to preach my first sermon. I think it was uh, September. Um, and I preached my very first sermon. I think it was called uh, Join the Team. I use football references. Talked about how um, everybody wants to make the winning, catch the winning pass. But nobody wants to go through boot camp. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to do the workout and the train, all that kind of stuff. Um, and after that, I got my license to be a to practice being a minister. In the African what do you mean by license? So in the African American Church, in the Black Baptist Church, you are first licensed to be a minister, right? So a pastor who's 
in the, I would imagine, um, he's a state, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Qualified black pastor. Is this for your denomination? Yeah. Okay. You, you get a minister. And if you, you know, pray about it, you believe that God's called them to minister, to be a preacher or a pastor, then you, you let them preach and then you license them as a minister of the gospel to practice preaching. So they are now licensed to practice preaching under your leadership. Um, and it's, it's more like an understudy kind of deal. During that time, the pastor then tells you to go to school, you know, go get looked at, go, go get, you know, every kind of doctor you can get, you learn everything you can go learn. But a lot of, a lot of the training, man, I would say in the African-American church is really, man, it's like, what, what do they call it? Like on the job training. So like discipleship, basically, like yeah, journeyman and training and yeah. discipleship under the but, lead but, pastor correct but it's on the job training and the best way to compare it is like building a plane while it's flying <laughs> you know we don't get to land but i need you to go out there and build the wing while we're in the air do you think that's a good system though um no well yes and no yes in the sense that i have met my fair share of um heavily degreed, licensed, you know, well-learned preacher, pastors who don't know how to talk to people, who don't know how to love people, who are not patient, who are not kind, but have degrees all over the wall. And if I had to pick the two, I'd rather have the heart of Christ and learn slow than pay thousands of dollars to go to school with a bunch of degrees and not have a heart for God's people and not know people's names, you know, and not be and not have the, the, the fruit of the spirit. Um, I'm not saying everybody that goes to school is like mean. I'm saying in my experience, I've seen a lot of folks who, um, who value that from more of a prideful standpoint than from a this is pushing me to purpose standpoint. Well, I feel you. I feel what it means. But at the same time, I, do, I am grateful yeah. that I do get to have that piece of paper behind, even though it cost me like hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> And, um, and if Jesus, if you want to take that away from me, that's one thing you can take right now. You can do it, Lord. <laughs> but um, no, but I think it's grateful. I think it's it's a calling, uh, definitely a calling. I think God will put you through those seasons of, uh, you know, seasons of educational trials, right? Yeah, Until you have to write a paper on forgiveness, six pages, and take, and it needs to be understood by anybody who picks it up and reads it. You have to take all your culture references out of it and take all of the, 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 the identity voice out, out of it and just... You can't write, write Doc it. and Rev in there? Yeah, you, <laughs> can't, you can't write Doc. You can't do that. You have to, you have to just write in a way yeah. that is edible to anybody. Um, and that was, that was a beautiful, beautiful challenge that I've been going through in school. What I love the most is having to write on these things that I tell myself that I know pretty intimately, that I know pretty well. Um, and I'm loving how that is pushing me for more and pushing me for greater um, in my own schooling. Okay, great, great. Um, talk to me about the black church versus rest of the world church. You know what I mean? Because that's my because culture versus church sprung out of my passion for diversity and multiculturalism. Where are we at with the black church community on that? Because like we talked about. Um, I think the beginning of, of this show is that word diversity and multiculturalism is brand new to a lot of churches. Um, and a lot of the times it's not because and, and, and a lot of times it's not because the church, uh, their purpose is to be diverse. It's just to where the world is going. Right. Um, right now, you know, in my family, when it was once all Korean, now I have Chinese people in my family. I have Filipinos in my family. Um, so that's where the world, especially in Southern California, right? Yeah. So I could, we could only speak for the place we live in. So, but especially in Southern California, where we're so diverse, what is the black church or how is the black church reacting to the multiculturalism, the globalization of everything? So I would say this is one area where, in my personal opinion, reactive nature is hurting us um, in a lot of ways because of uh, the black church's desire to cling and to hold on to tradition so strong and so tough 
um, it forces you to be in a reactionary state. What do you mean by reactionary? I say that to say that um, your church can be in one place and in five years, your church, you know, church can be in one place, surrounded in an African-American neighborhood, and then five years later, your church is surrounded by Hispanics. And the church, uh, instead of during those five years, seeing that this is happening and then making changes in the ministry so that the church feeds the, the community that it's in. My pastor always says, the church is not a lighthouse in the community where it's physically placed that it needs to move. And, uh, uh, and unfortunately, a lot of African-American churches, especially inner city storefront, you know, small to medium-sized churches are now surrounded by a race that they don't know with a language that they don't speak. And a lot of our churches are becoming commuter churches where folks, you know, drive past 20, 30 other churches to come there. That's where their families can always been or that's where they feel the most loved or called to serve. Um, and it's reactionary in the sense that we have focused so much on preserving what we have. We haven't made a lot of doors to let something new in. Um, it's like a, like Tupperware. The, the black church. Here we, here we go again, guys. <laughs> the black church, man, has been really awesome Tupperware. Uh-huh. The stuff inside is really great, but nothing else can get in. Mm. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, it's not even looking to make room mm. for other stuff, for other, for other folks, for other ways of doing things. Um, the danger of thinking that you're doing it the best way it can be done is that you cannot be doing it the best way. Um, and it is going to take um, a lot of prayer and a lot of uh, patience and grace and, and wise pastoral leadership uh, for the church to acknowledge that um, that we, 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 we can't be the one-stop shop for only one kind of person. Uh, right now, your average b- black Baptist Pentecostal soldier church is full of the families of the people who were there before. Um, I, I, don't, I don't see yet this passion and drive for literally just going next door to the church, for just walking a block from the church, knocking on somebody's front door and say, hey, I'm from the church up the street. How could we serve you? Um, and until the church gets to a place, um, and, and if we're going to be all the way honest, I'm going to just go there. Because we're so <laughs> passionate and we sing and we dance, there's also, unfortunately, a spectacle that becomes of, of, of the way that we worship sometimes. And it becomes entertaining. It becomes a, an episode almost. It, it's going to take a lot of um, just humility and patience and kindness, but also submission, man. I think it takes a great deal of submission to allow someone else to feel big in your space. So then I'm going to go back to what I was telling before about the young black preachers. Mm-hmm. What, are the, what, are, what, are, so what are you guys doing about it? You know, what is a young black preaching community doing about that, seeing all this? Because, I'm, because I think I'm assuming that, um, you know, the, the young black preachers coming up, they, they see this. Right, they see this. At the, they see this around them. They maybe okay. I see you shaking your hand, but but because so you know um, again, I think me and Alex we're, we're similar in age. Mm-hmm. I see this. Um, you know what? I'm not gonna lie. A lot of Asian, a lot of Asian pastors don't see it as well, and they're my age too. But at the same time, um, I'm not saying the black young preacher, or the black church has a responsibility to go out because I don't really see anybody coming in either from another race. Uh, but at the same time. Are we talking about this with the next generation of preachers? Are we talking about this um, with the next generation of, of, of churches? Because when I went to, the, again, the round table, I mean, that's what I'm referencing from because I see 50 or 60 young black preachers between the ages of 28 and like 40. And when they were talking, this is my being, this is me being honest. When we're, when we're talking about um, churches, they were only talking about the black church context. And I get that. Um, I don't know why I was there. Probably. Uh, uh, it's because we love you. <laughs> no, it's because. <laughs> and, and, and because you always need one. You know what I'm saying? Right. So so on the reels, right? So, but when I heard all the conversations, it was surrounding the black church. 
and how we can maybe, I don't want to use the word upgrade, but advance the next generation of black churches. Am I wrong or are we trying to stretch and go out there? Because I see some of y'all do that. Like I see you do that. I see other brothers do that. But um, shout out to Michael. I see Michael Johnson do that. And, and well, I see, the, you know. Here's the, here's the truth. Um, Tell I'm, me the I'm truth. Always be honest. I'm always be honest. Some of them see it uh, and care passionately. Uh, Michael Johnson, Anthony Beasley. Um, some of them see it. Um, and are apathetic. Um, they're trying to, you know, they're 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 bivocational. The church is not paying them, so I'm gonna do as much as I can do. Um, and what I what I've already decided that I can't do, I will not do, because I need to keep roof over my family's head. Um, and uh, uh, we you only you will only sacrifice for what you love. And what we're seeing is the absence of rampant righteousness among. The ministry, um, the unwillingness to intentionally disadvantage oneself to advantage a community. The last group um, is completely okay with how things are because as long as there's enough folk to keep the church open um, and as long as there's enough people to vote them in as the next pastor, if I could just be honest, then they are completely okay with the way things are and they will figure out how their pastor preaches that tickles the ears of the people that matter and they will preach that way and they will uh, they will they will stay on the Titanic while it's sinking as long as the band is playing their song. The, tru- the truth of the matter is in the next 20 years in a perfect world I think that it's possible to have a church that values a person's individual culture, background, and history without it being called a black church. In a perfect world, uh, I'm not going to say there are no black churches, but I would definitely love to see more colorful churches in South LA. Um, in In a perfect world, and I think that you can have a church that values a bunch of people's different cultures, backgrounds, history without it being a predominantly A, B, or C church. Um, And I believe that's where hopefully we're going. We're hopefully getting to a place where we see the value in each other's stories um, and that lifting one person's story doesn't diminish another's. So so do do you guys ever talk about, because I know in my Asian American circle, every time we see an Asian American guy leading a church, we're thinking, okay, is it Asian church, you know, or is he serving a white church and he's becoming white? You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's twofold, right? You're going to have a camp of people that are like, you know, how dare you, right? That, that camp's just going to exist. You know, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch, those people. Um, you're going to have another camp. That is just, you know, and this is going to sound a certain way. Y'all pray for me. They're just happy brother got a job. Like, <laughs> it's, another, it's another camp that's like, hey, we made it. Like, for the culture, right? It's a black guy serving with Joel Osteen uh, for the culture. You know, we're kind of forever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you got to bring that. Okay. Yeah, um, uh, and then you got to have the, the, the other camp. Um, that just prays that it's more about that his presence there is more about bringing his culture and history than it is about abandoning his culture and history. I like that. Um, that that prayerfully he's there because he knows recipes they don't, mm. and he's and he's not going there to learn recipes he doesn't know. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, I think that uh, wraps it up for me. I just wanted to ask, what do you pray for, hope for, for the black church for the future? Um, Yeah. So let's go with that. Um, Yeah. I've had a great time. Thank you so much for the invite. Um, If I had to, if I had to pick something, man, to say, this is my deepest prayer for the black church. I would say uh, one, let's, let's, value education more 
um, and not just uh, scholastically or collegially, um, uh, let's let's learn each other more and let's be uh, more students of the world. Let's let's go learn another language. Let's you know talk to people we don't know. Let's um, let's not uh, create so many obstacle courses for people to get close to us. Because um, I believe that we have lots of uh, uh, creativity and passion and scriptural knowledge and history to share that could benefit more people than just us. I think our protecting our tradition is also um, keeping us from sharing that knowledge and wisdom with other folks um, that could be it could be a blessing to. Um, and then lastly, I would say to our, our young you know, black preachers or predominantly to go to black churches, I, I want to encourage you all um, to to honor your pastors, to honor the leadership that's in front of you, to be humble, to be patient. Um, but at the same time, uh, ask yourself, what does my church do well? What does my church do excellent? What does my church not do excellent? And how can I help? And start from there. Um, never come at it from a place of, you know, I have all the answers because I'm young and hip. Um, because there are, there, this church also has seasoned saints who do not care what type of wood Noah's Ark was made out of. They're just grateful that it stayed above water. Um, so sometimes our desire for education and desire to know more and be more and be stronger and fog lights and ripped jeans and strobe lights um, never forget just the power of the raw gospel of Christ um, and that's all that's, uh, that's the only equipment that real preaching needs amen I mean alright at this time um, I'm gonna at this time I just want uh, Alex just to shout out all his uh, all his Instagram and all that page where you can find him at um, and maybe upcoming stuff that you're doing because we always want to support um, you know our guests and you know, support our brothers in Christ so, so where can we find you on social media Awesome. So Instagram, I am the letter B, then the word honest. So B honest under slash. Um, let's see here. On Facebook, it's Alexander James. I should pop up. Um, and then on Twitter, I want to say it's the same B honest, but I believe the under slash is um, in the front instead of in the back. Yeah, so on Twitter, it's under slash the letter B and the word honest. Um, I have a couple of events coming up this week. Uh, go and follow me on, on social media. You know, the letter B, the word honest, just be honest. Um, I have, I've just finished uh, my first book of poetry. Awesome, um, awesome. So that, that should be, uh, I was in this program at USC. Um, uh, and I do the author drafts in a couple of weeks and I present my manuscript to about 20 publishers and then they fight over who they want to publish. Um, so uh, God say the same, I'll be a published author before the end of the year. Um, I'm starting a kind of a group of people who are interested in the book. Um, so look forward to the Honest Agents. Um, following that page, you can kind of stay up to date with everything that's happening there. All right, man. You guys heard it here at Culture vs. Church. So thank you guys for listening. Um, and, uh, yeah, just keep on praying and keep on, keep on, you know, um, being the hands and feet of God. This is Culture vs. Church. My name is Paul, and I'm out. Peace.